Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today, we're going to continue talking about excision surgery. In this episode, we're going to focus on the difference between recurrence versus persistence. Persistence and recurrence. (laughs) Persistence, what I wish I had in many aspects of my life. No, I'm kidding. I'm tonight. But instead, I have recurrence (laughs) in bad habits that I I don't want. Recurrence of depression. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky me. Okay, so... So persistence would mean it persists. It still exists. It's still there. It was never removed in the first place. Oh, the audacity. Yes, rude. Recurrence would mean that it came back, that it was gone once, but then it reoccurred. Ooh, sneaky, sneaky. Rude. Oftentimes, disease recurrence after excision is actually disease persistence. No. Yes. No. Shocking. (gasps) But all I ever hear about is recurrence. I know. That's Mm. why we're here to talk about this. Interesting. What that means is that the endo actually remains in the body because it was missed during the first surgery, not because it grew back. Oh. It persisted because it was never removed. Exactly. Mm. So at the hands of somebody who is highly skilled in excision, actually highly skilled, not just slapped a label on themselves, The rate of recurrence or persistence of actual endo found at a re-operation by the the original endometriosis surgeon or a subsequent other surgeon is very low, very low. So how do surgeons know the rate of recurrence slash persistence in their patients? Good question. Is it telepathy? Yes, actually. (laughs) No, it's surgilepathy. I don't know. <laughs> it's <laughs> so, sushi-lepathy. <laughs> you wish. God. So what the surgeons do is that they follow their patients that they've operated on. They follow through their surgical future history. They and, stalk them. Yes, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> they surgically stalk them. They medically stalk them. And they follow their surgical history, their pathology reports, including if they're operated on elsewhere. Oh, I, so, I like it. Getting data. Exactly. We need data. Data so, is so important. Data drives everything. And it should drive Data more drives change. Data drives validation. Data is so important. So most often, the findings from these other surgeries will show adhesions and other pathologies for pelvic pain, but not an actual recurrence of endometriosis. Ooh. So that's why the rate of recurrence or persistence of endometriosis among the top excision surgeons is often less than 10%. So at the CEC, the Center for Endometriosis Care, their rate of recurrence of endometriosis in their patients they're following is 7 to 10%, which is phenomenal. So Brittany, when 
actual recurrence of endometriosis happens and at a reoperation they find endometriosis in the body, I'm really curious about it. Like, is the endometriosis they find in the shape of a thumbs down? <laughs> is the endometriosis they find in the shape of a middle finger? Is it in the shape of a sushi? Um, maybe the last one. Maybe the sushi. The sushi is more like round. Yeah, it's a blob. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, I think what's interesting to know is that when there is a recurrence of endometriosis, the amount of endo that reoccurs is typically less, and it also involves less areas. So when you compare it to the prior surgery, less endometriosis in general. It's not like a rubber band where you snap it and it bounces exactly right back the way it was. The endometriosis doesn't reoccur in an exact copy of what previously it was inside of our bodies. So it's not an exact, like, I pressed control C and just control P and pasted it. That's not what happens when it reoccurs. Gosh, I wish I could control C and control P, the money in my bank account. I wish I could control X everything. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> so additionally, the endo also tends to be superficial, which is great, and doesn't tend to be deep or be surrounded by fibromuscular metaplasia. But at times it is surrounded, not by fibromuscular metaplasia, so not that kind of like crude muscle fibers and fibrosis and so not that but sometimes it is surrounded by a little bit of soy sauce a little bit a little of wasabi rice, <laughs> a little bit of pickled ginger oh my favorite <laughs> i do think what you said is so important that i just want to repeat it myself in my okay. own words in my own language you recur my statement go for it <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to copy paste Brittany's statement, not like the endo, because that cannot copy paste. No, I just want to highlight what you said that there's often much less endo at reoperation than there was at excision. So, as Brittany said so eloquently, tends to involve less areas than the prior surgery, tends to be more superficial and not as deep or surrounded by fibromuscular metaplasia. And I think that's just really important to note. I think, too, what's interesting is that oftentimes when a patient reoperates, they're not reoperating because they're still having their endometriosis symptoms or pain. Oftentimes, patients are reoperating for fibroids or adenomyosis or something completely unrelated, and then the surgeon finds endometriosis in the pelvis. So we often hear phrases or have discussions around phrases like, my endometriosis came back or my endometriosis reoccurred. So do we really know if it came back, or is that persistence or reoccurrence? I think it can be really difficult to know if endometriosis, quote-unquote, came back. So if endometriosis recurred, or if endometriosis persisted because it was never removed in the first place. You know, it's funny because when I was looking up information for this episode, and looking on various websites, a lot of end information just talks about recurrence, but persistence is very real. And like we said, persistence is more common than recurrence. But oftentimes when we see talk about the rates of recurrence, we don't see this rates of persistence slash recurrence. But it's important that it could be either one. And it, oftentimes it's not easy for the patient to know which is which. I think, you know, does it matter if it's persistence or recurrence? Because I think if the endometriosis is still there, whether it's because it's back or never moved in the first place, I mean, at the end of the day, we're still in pain. 
right? At the end of the day, we still have disease that needs to be removed. We still have disease that needs to be addressed. And so at the end of the day, kind of the outcome is the same because whether it persisted or recurred, there's still endometriosis that's causing us a boatload of symptoms and we want to get rid of it. But there are ways that surgeons may be able to tell if the endometriosis recurred or persisted. So we want to talk about that because I just think it's really fascinating. So in order to know first, of course, they would need a reoperation on the patient. And then they would need to compare, the surgeon would need to compare the area where endometriosis is now against the prior excision areas. So they can do that with photos, the post-op report, or sometimes they could even see where endometriosis was excised within the body. So if the endometriosis that there is now, if that is new-looking disease in or around the same area that was previously excised, then it's probably recurrence. Okay, so how do we know when it's persistence instead? So if there's disease found in new areas, then likely it's persistence because it wasn't removed in the first place. Oh, the puzzle. And this is just generally and typically, like this isn't every time, you know, like, oh, every time you have a disease in a new area, it was persistence. It's not like a black and white binary here. Like nothing in life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like nothing in life. But typically, that is the way they may be able to tell. This is an important reason to ask for surgical photos or video from our excision surgeons so that, for example, if we get a second opinion or we change surgeons or even if we are with the same surgeon and we have another reoperation and there's disease, then they can take a look and they can see where the disease was previously removed from and therefore if the endometriosis was left behind or not effectively excised. So I know we talked about the appearance of endometriosis in a previous episode, but, you know, as endometriosis gets older, quote unquote older, as endometriosis <laughs> ages. As it matures. As a fine wine and cheese in <laughs> and your body. Oh, now we're going to talk about cheese for the rest no, of the episode. No, no, let's keep it on the sushi. Okay. I'm obsessed matures with sushi Matures like right a now. fine soy sauce. <laughs> Matures like the... Like some nice sake. <laughs> matures like the high fructose corn syrup in oh, many American sushis. Gross. <laughs> but as endometriosis matures and gets older, it tends to be darker and more fibrotic in appearance and nature. But if there are things like clear palpals or flame-like lesions... Ooh. I like the flame-like lesions. Yeah, but I'm picturing a race car and there's just like flame decals on on the side. It's gotten an airbrush job. (laughs) But if there are clear palpables or flame-like lesions, then those are probably newish disease. Yeah, they're teens. They want flames on their muscle car. (laughs) (laughs) Flame-like lesions. Makes sense. (laughs) So typically disease that looks burned out or blackish is either older disease that's been in place for a long time, or it might not even be disease at all. It could be like surgical eschar or like surgical charring, like surgical debris from prior ablations. So those are some of the ways. It's Mm. tricky. Like we said, it's not an exact science. And I think ultimately, why could this matter? If you're with the same excision surgeon for, you have a surgery with them, and then you have another surgery and another surgery, maybe you have two excisions or a third excision and the disease keeps 
quote unquote, coming back, it could be really good to look and say, is the disease really coming back from what they can tell from this criteria? Again, it's not an exact science. Or perhaps is the surgeon leaving disease behind this quote unquote endo coming back in my body all the time is really endo persisting because the surgeon doesn't have the skill to remove it. And sometimes they don't know that they, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. If the surgeon Mm -hmm. says, I got all the endo and they truly believe they got all the endo, but they didn't. I see surgeons on social media share some pictures of their patients that come to them and they'll have received the surgery photos from the patient's prior surgeon, be an ablation or excision surgeon. And then they look at the photos and, and the surgeon said, oh, you have no more endo. And they look at the photos and like, oh, I can see here all these clear palpals. I can That's see a side lesion. That's a side-by-side I wanted. <laughs> yeah. You Remember? want them to go yeah. in there at the same time and be like, I count 22 yeah. lesions. And the other one's like, well, I count 41. Exactly. And the other one's fascinating. like, and then the gynecologist with no training is like, and Dimitri, who? I don't see anything. I don't wrong. see anything black in there. Wow. That's they, the only one I know about. Wow. They, it looks so shiny and perfect in there. I mean, sure. There must be a, nothing wrong with them. There's a lot of like weird, you know, palpals and red Some thing. webbing there. <laughs> All <laughs> their <laughs> organs are in a mouthless blob. <laughs> there's even a weird looking stain that looks like a middle finger. But <laughs> I really don't see any endometriosis in there. There's nothing in there. <laughs> That would be really fascinating because, I mean, here is, is the same thing. Essentially, the previous surgeon operated. A more skilled surgeon is looking at pictures and saying not everything was removed. So it is kind of a side by side, but after the fact, which does just go to prove that the operator has a lot to do with the outcome. And that pictures and videos are so important. And so ask your surgeon before the surgery, can you take videos? Can you take pictures? Please provide them to me at the end of the surgery. because. It's not like you want to be like, oh, I'm going to double check my surgeon's work. But if you ever need a second opinion, then that's what a second opinion is, right? Like you're getting another opinion. You're double checking the work. And there's nothing wrong with double checking the work of anything. I mean, literally nothing. Check everything. (laughs) If I go to the store, I don't really use cash nowadays. But if I were to use cash and I got my change back, I would just be like, oh, my change, thanks, and shove it in my pocket. I would count my change because the clerk could make a mistake. You know, when I... We're all humans. We all make errors. Yeah. When I get my receipt in the grocery store, I just quickly skim down because sometimes I see items added that they made a mistake with the code for. I guess I have a lot of grocery store examples because I really only go to the grocery store. (laughs) This is nothing against... The most we buy is grocery store This is nothing against grocery store clerks. I do this with every single thing. Like when I get my paycheck, I look at my paycheck stub from my work and I check that they paid me the right amount of money and that they took all the right things out because there have been errors. Yes. There was once an error in my paycheck. I was like, uh, quite a large one. Wow. It's just good to always double check because humans are human and we make errors and it's based on our skill and our expertise and we can make a mistake. And so it's always good, especially as patients to, you know, you're not going to cut yourself open and be like, oh, let me look with my super, <laughs> Please don't do like that. the ring light mirror, Brittany plucks her chin hairs with. <laughs> You do a laparotomy on yourself. You stick that mirror in while eating sushi. This sounds like a mess, a fever dream. (laughs) Please don't do that, people. But like, you know, you just you want to feel confident about what's being done to you. So I think all this information we're talking about is so interesting. It's like little grains of rice of knowledge for thought. Sushi for thought, (laughs) of course. So I find a lot of thought sushi. Sushi? Oh, yeah. Sushi. <laughs> I'm not good at this game, clearly. Okay. Or Thatushi, either one. I like, up to you. I like Thatushi, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's 
all very interesting, these little grains of knowledge that we can accumulate that can just help us understand perspectives or what our doctors are saying or the information that we're finding out in the world. And I think recurrence and persistence is really complex. There's a lot of factors in deciding whether something is recurrence or persistence. There's a lot that goes into a rate of recurrence or persistence. And all of that makes it a very complex subject. So now we just want to chat a little bit about recurrence in various parts of the body. So if I have endometriosis on my teeth. Oh. Oh, my. No one has had endometriosis on their teeth. I hope not. That sounds painful (laughs) and weird. So take endometriomas. Yeah, take endometriomas from my body. We took yours. (laughs) And my ovary. They have an incredibly high rate of recurrence rates. Recurrence. Even in the best hands. But they have an even higher persistence rate. Persistence. When ineffectively treated. Thank you for being my backup singer. (laughs) Ineffective persistence. Yes. Expert recurrence. (laughs) Thank you. So essentially what that's saying is that in the best hands, an endometrioma has a high chance of recurring. In a lower skilled hand, the endometrioma is not properly removed and therefore it's persisting. Ooh. But to us, pretty much all seems the same. Yes. I had an endometrioma. And then again, I have an endometrioma at some point after surgery. Yes. It's hard for us to know. Did it, which one's persistent? Which persist, one's recurrent? Did it recur? In the end, I'm just in pain. <laughs> in the end, I just have an endometrioma. And then I have something in my body I don't want to be there. And it's not a sushi, although it's kind of shaped like a sushi. <laughs> That'd be so cool if they opened your endometrioma and there was a sushi Oh, that would not be cool. No. Yeah, it'd be like. It was just full of grains of rice and they spill <laughs> out into your body cavity. <laughs> That sounds like a performance art piece. It'd be like a special (laughs) prize. It'd be like when we said earlier, you're finding the needle in a haystack, you're tickling the mosquito in the elbow with the telegraph pole, and you're just finding the sushi inside of the endometrioma. It's like a special prize that only one in a million people have. And if you get it, you get it published about in medical journals. And a million dollars. That'd be so cool. If there was a million dollar prize for having a sushi, I would just cut myself up and shove a sushi inside of me. (laughs) What's wrong with you? I don't know. Do it through the belly button so they don't notice. (laughs) Less scarring. (laughs) So the most common place in the pelvis to have reoccurrence is with the ovaries. So like any cyst, if the wall is not properly excised from the ovary, and instead the endometrioma is just punctured and drained, the chance of it reoccurring is higher as the cyst wall wasn't all removed in the first place. So some surgeons take the puncture and drain approach, or they may burn the cyst wall in an effort to have less risk of damaging normal ovarian tissue. So if that happens, instead of the cyst wall being excised from the ovary, then the chance of persistence is much higher. To add to that, There are more reasons as well as to why recurrence or persistence rates are high with endometriomas. Well, that doesn't sound fun. Tell me about that. (laughs) I don't want to know, but tell me more. (laughs) No one likes the words, there are more reasons. (laughs) I mean, maybe if it's like, there are more reasons why you're so wonderful. It's like, yeah, keep them coming. But not recurrence, persistence. No, no, no. There are more reasons why disease (laughs) could take over your body. You can keep those to yourself. (laughs) But I'm going to share them anyway. Cysts can be hidden in the middle of the ovary. They can grow later. Additionally, the ovary may have the longest capacity to change 
via metaplasia compared to other areas of our bodies. Well, good thing they just removed my left ovary with the giant endometrioma, so I don't have to worry about <laughs> the endometrioma recurring or slash persisting. They on took your the left ovary wall and the ovary too. <laughs> <laughs> they completely guaranteed that there would be no recurrence on the left yes. ovary by removing the left ovary with the cyst with the endometrioma. When I joke about my loss of my ovary, we just want to point out that they took my ovary with my consent, like. I knew before the surgery that they were going to take my ovary. And the reason why they took it was because they weren't sure if my endometrium was cancer because I wasn't diagnosed with endometriosis yet. And so I don't want anyone... And it was concerning. <laughs> this is a special case with lots of conversation and Yeah, so I don't want anyone to think just because you have an endometrium on your ovary, you're going to lose the ovary. I did lose my ovary to my endometrioma, but there was a much more complex conversation with my surgeon about what would be the best case for me. And in this case, this was the best for me. It's not the best now because now my hormones <laughs> are all over the place. But that's what we did. And we can't see the future because if we did, wow, we would make such good decisions. <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be so great? That would be great. Gosh, if you just knew everything that was going to happen. Well, it would take the fun out of life. Yeah, that's true. Or would it? Hmm. What if? I uh, guess we'll never know. <laughs> I want to talk about intestinal disease. Of course you do. Because I love my intestines. <laughs> no, I don't. Yes, I do. Because I love my body. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, They've not been good to you, but the they're trying. The eternal battle. <laughs> to love and accept the body. I accept and love you, body. No, I don't. Ooh. Who is talking? <laughs> Who is saying, no, I don't? My subconscious. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> got a reel in my subconscious. That's gotta, the critic in there. Got to go do some journaling. Okay. No, really, people. So... <laughs> The rate of recurrence with intestinal disease is typically seen as very low. While recurrence rates for endometriosis may vary in different studies done, and we're going to talk about reasons for that in part three of this series, Dr. David Redwine, who is a renowned endometriosis surgeon and who we've had on this podcast in the past. Yeah. So go listen to his episode because <laughs> it was really good and informative. But he states on Endopedia.info that the recurrence rate of intestinal endometriosis is under 10%. So basically, in the hands of a skilled excision surgeon who completely removes the endometriosis, rates of recurrence tend to be very low for bowel endometriosis. Going hand in hand with that is deep infiltrating endometriosis. Die! Die! <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> Acronym DIE, D-I-E. Who named that? We don't know. My hero. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make endometriosis lingo fun. Yes. Or and not. funny. <laughs> or traumatic. Or both. Depending on where Can you are. Can be both. <laughs> depending on where you are in your life right now. Yes. So rate of recurrence is typically seen to be the lowest with dye or deep infiltrating endometriosis, such as on the bowel or the bladder. If a patient continues to have deep infiltrating endometriosis that comes back then it's often good to get a second opinion about that because the surgeon who did their excision surgery may not have been aggressive enough in their approach to remove those endometriosis deep nodules. Also interesting is scar or umbilical endo has a recurrence rate that is close to 0%. And that percentage is once more from Dr. David Redwine's page, endopedia.info. We've heard other excision surgeons say a similarly low recurrence rate as well for abdominal wall endo. 
That being said, it's important that all of the endometriosis is removed, or of course, the chance of recurrence and persistence will be much higher because there are some elements of the disease that were left behind. We heard Dr. Fogelson speak at the 2021 Endometriosis Summit. He's from Northwest Endometriosis and Pelvic Surgery, and he said that about half of the abdominal wall endometriosis he has operated on, I believe he stated at the time that he'd operated on about 50 total, were second operations. That means the patient had already had an operation for their abdominal wall endo, but it had recurred or persisted. And this was usually because the previous surgeon wasn't quite aggressive enough in their approach and didn't fully remove the lesion the first time. So if you can get it all, and it's not persistent, the chances are it won't come back. Next, we want to talk about teenagers. Oh, no. I'm glad I'm not a teenager anymore. Those are rough (laughs) times. If you're a teenager, (laughs) it gets better. Okay? It really does. (laughs) I mean, you could be having a good time, but if you're having a hard time as a teenager, it does get better. Although when you're young, it's like, oh, my God, I'm growing up or I'm getting older. It's like the world is ending. For me, getting older has been such a blessing. Just continuing to get older and wiser and learn more things and more self-confident and more trust in myself and finding more peace with my life. And getting older has been such a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, very good thing. So we know that teenagers are more likely to have endometriosis recur than patients who are older than their teen years. You see, another perk of getting older (laughs) is that your endometriosis is less likely to recur than when you're a teen. So why is that? Enlighten (laughs) us all. So one of the reasons could be that teenagers are still forming their endometriosis via metaplasia. And metaplasia is when one tissue type changes into another tissue type. So with teenagers, even if all of the visible endometriosis is removed, there may be some areas that are still embryologically patterned tracts of tissue that have the potential to form endometriosis and then form it in a few years. And so when I say embryologically patterned tracts of tissue, that's referring, as we've talked many times, to the school of thought that endometriosis forms when we're embryos, hence the embryologically patterned tracts of tissues. Another thing about endometriosis in teenagers is that very subtle endometriosis could later become more apparent as it changes in appearance. And so the endometriosis was there and not removed. And then as the person got older and the endometriosis matured. Maturation. (laughs) As the maturation of the endometriosis. I love whatever amalgamation of accents that is. Happens. That's the mature accent, Brittany. Oh, okay. Period. My bad. Yeah. That was no imitation of any accent. That was the mature accent. (laughs) So sorry. And that's all. My apologies. When you eat enough sushi, you become really good at other languages. (laughs) I guess so. I wish. A perk of eating sushi. (laughs) And when you eat the sushi that was in your own endometrioma, you just become like godlike genius. An endometrioma. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine? (laughs) I am now an endometrioma. Yeah, it's like, you know, protecting poke, yourself poke in a bubble. With, poke me with a pin and blood will come out. Yeah, <laughs> Old dried blood. Yeah, no thank you. <laughs> so Dr. David Redwine, a renowned endometriosis surgeon and researcher, 
he did a study on the areas of involvement of different age groups, and this suggested that teenagers are still developing their endometriosis. But but the good thing was that it suggested that most people form all of the endometriosis that they will have by their mid-20s. And endometriosis in teenagers is reportedly more aggressive as well. So that's fun. That's is the fun no? of being a teenager. <laughs> more fun, just what we needed as teenagers. <laughs> Pimples on your face. Trouble communicating and relating to your peers. And endometriosis. Lurking. Reportedly being more aggressive as well. Growing. <laughs> but the good thing is that as you age, as you mature and your endometriosis <laughs> matures as well. <laughs> Then hopefully, as Dr. Redwine's study suggests, you'll have all the endometriosis that you'll form by your mid-20s. Ooh, whew. And I think, you know, this could be the case with any recurrence of endometriosis. You know, as we said, it's hard to know, did it truly recur? Or in actuality, was the endometriosis always there? And it got missed because it had a subtle appearance that the untrained eye could not detect. and then. You know, it changed to a more obvious appearance, like changing from clear to red or to black, and therefore became more apparent to the surgeon's eye. Recurrence leaves me with so many questions. There's a question here, a question there, a question for everything everywhere. Just so many thoughts about what is recurrence? What is persistence? Do I have recurrence or do I have persistence? What does it mean? Where is it? Who did it? Why? There's so many things. Well, one thing we've clarified is that endometriosis is not on your teeth. Okay, chomp, chomp. And that endometriomas <laughs> do not harbor sushis inside of them. I think um, we didn't need to learn that here. I think <laughs> we may have already known that. <laughs> we don't know, but everyone knows, Brittany. Okay, okay, It's good fair. to clarify everything. I didn't know that. I learned something oh, new in That's this where episode. you thought sushi came from. <laughs> yeah. Not from chefs who train for decades in order to perfect their craft, but just they pop them out of endometriomas instead. That's why it's such a delicacy, Sushi I guess. chefs just lay endometriomas filled with sushi like chicken's legs. Oh, God. <laughs> I, Why'd you have to do that? I could revolutionize sushi if I was in charge of creating the universe. <laughs> That's Things how would be, be done. much different. Every time I pass gas, a rainbow would come out. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we need the cheats codes so that we can, like, create new things. Can we have the sandbox version of our lives? Who made the algorithm? I would insert really good things in there. Okay. I'm the programmer of this universe. I want to do it. And in this universe, there would be no endometriosis or chronic illness at all. The simulation can be ours. (laughs) Something also interesting about recurrence has to do with the stage of the endometriosis. So there's a study that was done that speculates that true recurrence may actually be higher in patients who have a lower stage disease versus patients with advanced stages like three and four, which is really interesting and kind of alarming. Wow. Who would have thought? I I know. I would have never guessed that. I would have thought it might be the opposite, that people with endometriosis higher stage have a higher chance of recurrence. So all that we just mentioned, if you're like, oh, where did they get all those statistics from and where did they get all that information from, all of those sources are on our website in 16years.com. So everything that we just talked about is sourced and linked in our website if you want to go further. A lot of it is from endopedia.info, which is the website devoted to Dr. David Redwine's research. And there's other sources as well. Oh, we didn't just make all of that up? 
I mean, we're making up most of the part about anything in relation to sushi. (laughs) (laughs) No, I thought that was the statistically backed up and studied done stuff. The other stuff we made up. But everything to do with endometriosis, yes, we found that via credible sources. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And again, this is just everything that we just said is just like a typical general. So it's not like the exact rate of recurrence for umbilical endometriosis is close to zero it's like it could come back for you it could like these are all just this is general general statistics say but that doesn't mean that every single person has the exact same representation or presentation of everything all the time as we just said we're all different too <laughs> oh lovely so i have a question for you madam endometriosis specialist that's right that's what my business card says why doesn't endometriosis just recur all the time everywhere in every way why? Why only sometimes? You'll have to go down to hell to find out. No. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm already in hell with endometriosis. I'm already here. <laughs> I want to get out of here. So to be very brief about this, because we've talked so many times about the theories of the origin of endometriosis. But as we know, there are multiple theories to why we have endometriosis, multiple schools of thought. We know that there is the idea of retrograde menstruation, that endometriosis just leaks out, leaks out of the uterus during menstruation through the fallopian tubes, which is a real thing. You bleeding backwards into your pelvic cavity. But where does it go? (laughs) It's probably cleaned up by the immune system. Okay. But alarming. (laughs) Doing its job in there. It's probably absorbed by all of the rice that, oh, my God, it's the grains of rice. And then when the blood goes backwards, okay. that's the equivalent of like the water that yeah. and then the sushi's boiled because you okay. have a temperature of 98.6 degrees, this which makes sense. Now. I think it's practically boiling. What's the boiling point? 212. Oh, shoot. <laughs> well, <laughs> Did then I the, make the, that up? I don't, <laughs> I don't know anymore. I, I may, no, I think you're right. And so I think then the rice is in a low simmer in the menstrual blood, the backwards menstrual blood. Oh, God. <laughs> creating <laughs> the end of me. We have now solved the mystery, people, of where endometriosis comes from. Sushi chefs drop grains of rice into your body. Then the backwards menstrual blood, the retrograde menstruation, simmers the grains of rice to make endometriosis. The grossest meal I've ever heard of. <laughs> Endometrioxis. So is that vegetarian or? <laughs> ah, I mean, it's from your own body, so it's consent. So I guess it would be. <laughs> So basically, if endometriosis came from retrograde menstruation, then we would see a much higher rate of recurrence with endometriosis. Because if it got there in the first place by blood going backwards out the tubes, and then we removed it, it would just keep getting reseeded. And Logic would say it would just keep coming back It would just keep every coming blood. back, but it does doesn't not, you know. And we know that 90% of menstruators have retrograde menstruation, but only 10% or so of people assigned female at birth have endometriosis. And again, retrograde menstruation doesn't explain how we have endometriosis in regions that are extra pelvic, you know, that are not connected to the uterus, like in the lung or the fingertip or the eyelid. It doesn't explain endometriosis in people who do not menstruate. So let's go ahead and put a big X over Eh, that theory. Wrong. (laughs) So another school of thought is that we are born with endometriosis. And one theory is malariosis, and that says that when we're embryos, 
tracts of tissue are laid down when the uterus, ovary, cervix, and reproductive system are forming. And these tracts of tissues either contain endometriosis or have the potential to change into endometriosis via metaplasia. And metaplasia is when one type of tissue turns into another type of tissue. So in this school of thought, in this theory, if all of the tissue that is endometriosis or could potentially become endometriosis via metaplasia, if all of that is removed, then the chance of recurrence is, is very low because all of that tissue was removed. That was endo or that could become endo. And I think it's interesting because I've seen Dr. Redwine talk about recurrence of endometriosis that sometimes if excision doesn't go underneath, like when the surgeon is excising and cutting it out at the root, if they don't get completely the root of the endometriosis, so if they don't get completely underneath those underlying tracts of embryological patterned substrate of the embryological pattern endometriosis, this can lead to endometriosis recurring or persisting in an area where excision happens. And as we said earlier, it's much more common for endometriosis to persist than to recur. Sometimes it can be hard to know how deep the endometriosis actually goes. It goes all the way to the core of your soul. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it feels like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it's the core of my being now. So I think it's, you know, it's the age-old question, why does endometriosis recur? No one, ha- no one knows the answer to that. No one knows why endometriosis happens in the first place. No one knows why it recurs. We know why it persists. That's because it's not removed in the first place. If it persists, it's because it wasn't removed. Or it could persist because it wasn't fully removed. It wasn't removed at all, or it was only partially removed. But no one knows why endometriosis happens or recurs. There are schools of thought. And so those are some of the schools of thought of why endometriosis occurs in the first place, because we're born with it through embryological pattern tracts of tissue. Why could it recur? Well, a reason why it could recur is if all the tracts of tissue were not fully excised. But these are just theories and schools of thought. So there's no... We don't have a definitive answer. We don't have answers, but... We have good leads. Yeah. But no definitive <laughs> answers. I wonder if Dr. Redwine loves sushi. Maybe we should ask. What's your favorite sushi? <laughs> What's like, your favorite color? Am I here to talk about endometriosis? Or just, no, we just want to get to know you. We just want to get to know you. <laughs> We're just fascinated by you. We just want to learn more about your brain. We just want direct <laughs> access to your brain. <laughs> to wrap up all that we just spoke about, we want to quote a few sentences from the article on the Center for Endometriosis website which we've linked in our fabulous show notes, of course. Yeah, go look at it in our show notes. <laughs> Amy's favorite place. <laughs> the article is titled, Was My Surgery a Failure? It talks about if excision surgery didn't give you the outcome you were hoping for. The article says that, quote, recurrence or persistence of actual endometriosis can occur, though at a low percentage rate, even after sharp and meticulous dissection in the most skilled of hands. Yes, including ours. Interestingly, true recurrence may actually be higher in patients with lower stage disease versus advanced stages three and four. It has long been noted in the literature as well that some disease in younger people is more, quote, aggressive with a, quote, higher recurrence rate and may even be a, quote, 
different form of endometriosis altogether. I'll just jump in for a minute because Brittany is quoting inside of a quote. <laughs> Quoteception! But what Brittany just put in quotes so that the disease may be more, quote, aggressive, end quote, with a, quote, higher recurrence rate, end quote, and may even be a, quote, different form of endometriosis altogether, end quote. The Center for Endometriosis is actually taking those three statements in quotes from an outside source, which is from Dovey, 2010, and company. Back to Brittany to continue with the to quote finish the, the on whole the Center quote. for Endometriosis Care website. So the rest of the quote says, This, then, does not imply lack of meticulous skill attempted on the part of the surgeon, who is, first and foremost, human after all, but rather can be attributed to the complex, insidious nature of this disease. End quote. So really what that's saying is that even with the best surgeons, endometriosis can still recur or persist. And that's really important to point out. I mean, it's really complex to have all that sushi inside of you. Um, I, mm, I don't really think they were talking about sushi there, but we'll let you have it. <laughs> but I love the vocab that they used. One of my favorite words of all time, insidious. Insidious means to gradually and secretly cause harm. And that so accurately describes endometriosis. Insidious meaning sly, like a fox. Sneaky. I wonder if foxes eat sushi. But to go back to the article by the CEC, they also start that article by saying that the surgical skill of the surgeon does matter and can affect the outcome of your surgery. And I think that what we talked about is so interesting, such as how Abdominal wall endometriosis can have recurrence rates close to zero in the hands of an expert surgeon. How dye tends to have low recurrence rates in the hands of an expert surgeon. Whereas endometriomas are actually trickier, insidious one might say, and have high recurrence rates even in the best of hands, even in the hands of an expert. And so this goes back to that insidious and complex nature of endometriosis. Lesions in the same person can have different characteristics. It's not a homogenous disease, and some researchers even suspect that the different types of endometriosis have different origins. You know, even to look at an example with abdominal wall endometriosis, there's primary and secondary, and secondary is likely seeded into a scar from a piece of endo or uterus after surgery. And that's different from other types of endo that we are likely born with. Insidious and complex. Sneaky like a fox. <laughs> I also love that whenever we talk about endo, it's like, so there's generally this, but except for this one exception over here, which is actually different than this other exception over there, which is typically this, but only if you're talking about that, not this, in this context only, not this other one. And don't forget this special thing. <sighs> My brain hurts. <laughs> I have a little pop quiz for you. I'm going to say a statement. I want you to tell me if it's persistence or recurrence. Are you ready? Never. Okay, well, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if a surgeon intentionally left behind endometriosis, what would that be? Persistence. Good job. Thank you. Because they didn't remove it in the first place. And so since it wasn't removed, it persisted. Exactly. Because it wasn't removed. Yes, that's correct. It's persistence. And there are excision surgeons who say that 
generally speaking. Endometriosis can be safely removed from any place in the body. Ooh, what about if it was on my eyeball? I mean, uh, I don't know any excision surgeon who removes endometriosis from the eyeball. That might be a specialty specialty. I'm not sure. (laughs) But I think that maybe when they say generally can be safely removed, they're talking about the places that endometriosis is found. Not like your pinky fingernail or your eyeball or your tooth. I feel like they would just yank that tooth out. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's if they have a really, really, really rotted tooth, right? Are they going to yank out the pinky fingernail, Anyway, they too? probably would never find endometriosis on your tooth. Teeth are different. They just rip yeah. the fingernail out. They just oh, rip goodness. out the eyeball, the tooth, no. and the fingernail. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That's not happening. That's not what's happening. <laughs> if you ever see me post on social media and I'm missing all of those body parts. <laughs> we'll know why. <laughs> it was preventative measures for endometriosis. <laughs> okay, I have another quiz for you. So surgeons unintentionally or accidentally, they may leave it behind because they believe they excised all the endo or they didn't excise wide enough or deep enough into the tissue, or they may have missed an area of endometriosis because they didn't notice the tissue was abnormal. Surgeons are humans. They don't have endo scanning retinas built into them. Ooh, that would be so (laughs) wonderful. They opened you up. No, they had a big machine that they just put <laughs> like you an inside MRI. <laughs> and then it just scanned your entire body and was like oh this person has endo here and here and here and on the eyeball and on the tooth <laughs> saw that coming. and on the fingernail bed <laughs> we're gonna leave it in those three places <laughs> everywhere else we can excise. we'll excise it everywhere <laughs> but we shall leave it in the eyeball and that's how you get the endo scanning retina i like oh wow you see? when you get endo in your eyeball you get a magical you get a, a power I like X-ray that. X-ray vision power Only that allows you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> then you just walk around and you can see. Like you have endo. X-ray you have vision. endo. You have endo. <laughs> you Here's a up. business card. Go see a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's next level. I want that. Wow. Also, can you imagine you... shortening the diagnosis time to a few minutes when you walk by someone on the street? <laughs> <laughs> you can set up your own little booth in the... The that'd county be, fair. That'd be great. <laughs> you have a sign there like, I'll let you know if you have endo in, in under five seconds. All you have to do is walk towards me. <laughs> <laughs> For the flat charge of $599.99. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I guess worth it. You probably would save versus the traditional way. <laughs> if endometriosis has intentionally been left behind, that's usually an indication about the skill level of the surgeon or maybe the lack of skill level of that surgeon. Endometriosis can be removed via excision in the bowels, the bladder, the uterus, lungs, diaphragm, the ureters, and often the surgeon works with urologists, general surgeons, GI surgeons, thoracic surgeons, and those surgeons will also be experienced in endo. So what's interesting is that my endometriosis excision surgeon did actually leave endometriosis behind intentionally. So in the post-op appointment, he let me know that he had gotten everything except for about 5% of the endometriosis that was on my rectum. Of course it was on the rectum. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, oh, this girl's had bowel problems all her life. I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. This will be less, but yeah, she'll be used to it. A little souvenir, (laughs) you know. Endo's got to be with you always. I mean, really, I think it was the GI surgeon that did the part like of the intestinal endometriosis. So I had a follow-up appointment with the GI surgeon, and I asked him why he didn't remove all of the endometriosis. 
And I don't mean in an accusatory way like, hey, I heard that endometriosis could safely be removed from all body parts except perhaps the eyeball. (laughs) Anyway, Brittany and I are just making up the eyeball. We want you to know that we've never seen any literature of endo on the eyeball. That's why we picked the eyeball. On the eyelid, yes. But on the eyeball, no. No. So can excision be done on the eyeball? I have no idea. Nobody would We are joking and making this up. (laughs) It has never been done on the eyeball. So that'll be our running joke today, endo on the eyeball. (laughs) But, you know, I, I just asked him because I just really wanted to understand why all the endometriosis had not been removed. And he said that there were risks and there were benefits and that they weighed them and that they felt that, in my case, the risks of doing a bowel resection so close to my rectum was just not worth a longer recovery time, potential complications, the hospital stay. So they, in that moment, opted not to do it. And I know they do bowel resections because they said I might potentially have a bowel resection, and I know they've done on other patients. So, you know, I have to admit in the moment after excision surgery, like when I was recovering and when I was just learning more about endometriosis, in that moment I, I did feel upset that all of my endometriosis wasn't removed during surgery. But, you know, I think in my own personal case, I have to just trust that the surgeon did what they thought was best. Maybe they didn't have the skills to remove it safely at my rectum, or maybe the benefits were just not worth the risk in my case. Like, I just wanted to bring up this personal example because I think sometimes we hear factual information, you know, being told like endo can generally be safely removed via excision on any part of the body. And then maybe we're in a situation where endometriosis wasn't removed. Like, the situation that I was and am still in since I still have it on my rectum, you know, perhaps if I go to another surgeon, they would be able to remove endometriosis from my rectum. But at least in my own case, with getting 95% of my endometriosis and with the very little endometriosis that I have left, my symptom reduction has been so drastic. I feel a million times better than I did. I still feel like crap. But I feel like a million times better. Crap with a nice little Christmas bow on top, you know? <laughs> Before it was just watery, terrible diarrhea crap. <laughs> now it's a shiny, nice, smooth poo with a little Christmas bow on top. <laughs> uh, and it smells less. Yes. And it's a better color. Less flies. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Fruit flies, mosquitoes. <laughs> well, okay. Sand flies every moving time. On, moving on. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> oh, jeez. But I guess my point is that I've had to look at like the big picture of what was done overall. And overall, I'm really satisfied with my surgeon. I'm really satisfied, well, with both of the surgeons, the GI and the excision surgeon that work together. I'm really satisfied with the outcome. And it may be that in the future, I do have to consult another surgeon to get endometriosis removed from my rectum because I still do have pains and stabbing pains when I eat certain foods. But right now, I, I just feel grateful that the results of my surgery were so positive. And I think if we are in a situation where we had an excision surgery and not all of our endometriosis was removed, then what we can do is we can think about getting a second opinion. Or like in my case, I'm not at this point needing a second opinion. So I'm just going to try and manage the symptoms that I have left. 
And I think, you know, it can be frustrating and it can be really disappointing and it can be really upsetting if all of our endometriosis is not removed at surgery, especially if like, in my case, it was only left on the rectum, but in other people, they get surgery and the doctor is not even able to do any of the endometriosis removal on the intestines, for example, because they're not equipped. And so everyone's case with excision and, and their doctor's skill and, you know, what gets done on their body is really different. And hopefully when we get excision, we can get the most complete excision with 100% removal, but it also may not be the outcome. And I think, you know, that's also shows it's really, really important to ask questions to the surgeons before you have the surgery. Are you able to remove endometriosis in all the parts of the body? Can you remove endometriosis on the intestines? Are you going to work with a GI surgeon? Can you remove endo on the bladder, on the ureters, on the diaphragm? So I think it's just really important to go in to the surgery, knowing fully the doctor's skills and if the doctor has any limitations or not, so we can make an informed decision about whether or not we want to proceed forward with surgery with this surgeon. And of course, that's not a guarantee if they say they can remove everything that they will be able to. But it's all yeses until they get in there. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a very good indicator. Mm -hmm. You know, if the surgeon lets you know, no, I don't usually touch bowel endometriosis, then you know okay, it's probable I have bowel endometriosis. Maybe I don't want to work with the surgeon. Or if they say, like in my case, yes, we are able to get bowel endometriosis. We've done many cases. Then you know, oh, it's likely that they will remove it all. And in my case, they removed everything except for a very small percentage. I still can't believe how incredible it is that you got excision surgery. I just keep thinking about them cutting out all of that tissue and just snip, snip, snip. And putting it out in a bag on a plate, on a tray, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they don't have plates in the OR. Pretty, I meant a tray, I meant a tray. I think they put it on a tray. <laughs> they put it on a plate and they put some garnish on it. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit. Bring of it back to the chefs. They're like, ooh, are we going to make the endometriotic tissue stew today? Yes, yes, you are. I mean, ooh. <laughs> if, you have, if you eat that while you have endo in your eyeball, your retina scanning skills <laughs> be up. increase yeah. drastically. But I wonder how many pounds it was, like how many pounds of tissue. Is it a lot or is it not as much as I think? I think it goes to pounds. Probably grams. Ounces? Yeah. Oh, ounces. Yeah. Well, I guess we're in the U.S. I don't know what metrics some people are using. Maybe they use grams (laughs) in a hospital. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, it's just fascinating to think of all that tissue cut out and then just plopped on a tray. Your insights became your outsides. (laughs) (laughs) Plopped on a tray straight to pathology. Yes, yes. And then what does pathology do with it? Ooh. Biohazard waste. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> somebody at a hospital tell us. <laughs> what if somebody took some of the tissue and used it to make a clone of you? Do we need another Amy in the world? Yeah, we could use another Amy in the world. <laughs> but it's not even an Amy. It's like a really weird endometriotic version it's of a YMA. Amy. YMA. <laughs> What's a YMA? That's your name backwards. <laughs> oh, so it's Amy a, and a YMA. It's an endamy. <laughs> endometriami. <laughs> Now, something that could be important with your surgeon or could not could be the beliefs that your surgeon has about endometriosis. When I was in the post-op appointment with my surgeon and I, and, you know, I let the surgeon know just how grateful I was, how thankful I was. And then I also asked about the endometriosis being left behind and what that could mean for me. 
And I was really surprised to hear that my surgeon believes in retrograde menstruation. Ugh. <laughs> Darn. What my surgeon said to me was that I'm an endometriosis factory, like true quote there. He said that I'm an endometriosis factory and that I will probably see him in a couple of years for a future surgery again when endometriosis comes back. Okay, an endofactory though? I mean, if I could be a factory, I don't think it would be an endofactory. Why can't I be like a happy factory or a fun factory or a creativity factory or a money factory? <laughs> and then I could get the best excision surgery in the world. <laughs> and then I could be happy and fun. <laughs> I want to be those kinds of factories. Uh, well, apparently I'm an endometriosis factory. All right, I'm Willy Wonka because I'm a chocolate factory. <laughs> and by chocolate, I mean poo. I poo a lot. <laughs> I think by chocolate, you mean I'm an endometrioma factory? Yes, there you go. With the chocolate cysts? Oh, God. Ew. This is all getting sadder. What happened to happiness this factory? This all getting really twisted. <laughs> and so I did have to wonder in that moment if... His belief that endometriosis always comes back influenced his decision to leave endometriosis behind in my rectum. You know, because if you think that endometriosis is always going to come back, why get it all? I've seen a lot of reviews about my surgeon, and I know that every review I've read said that my surgeon told them that he got all of their endo even in advanced cases. So. Like in my own case, I know that my surgeon does commonly remove all of the endometriosis that he finds. And I also know that he's done bowel resections for other patients because they've reported their bowel resections with him on there. Now, I'll also say that my excision surgeon recommended that I do Lupron after surgery to try to prevent recurrence. Hmm. And when I told him no, he insisted that it could be a good idea. And honestly, I was really surprised by his beliefs, both on Lupron and on retrograde menstruation. But different doctors have different belief systems. So if your doctor believes that you're an endometriosis factory or wants you to take Lupron, that doesn't mean you should automatically not do your surgery with them. Many doctors do believe in retrograde menstruation because that's what they've been taught. Because we know that it's such a prominent, unproven very unproven, not at all proven, <laughs> not true, theory that just can't seem to be let go of by the overall medical community. And some doctors believe that Lupron can help with the recurrence of endometriosis because they aren't aware of the data on Lupron that has been repressed or falsified. And we talked about this in our mega Lupron series. So go back and check that out if, if you need to. And they're not even aware that Lupron is a short-term thing and you can't be on it for the rest of your life. So to prevent recurrence for six months, one year, depending what you take, doesn't really make much sense. So when might beliefs like these matter? Well, I think if in the pre-operative appointments with the excision surgeon, they told you, for example, that they routinely leave behind endometriosis if it's in a tricky spot, because it'll just come back anyways because of retrograde menstruation. Or if they say something like, yeah, it's fine to leave endometriosis behind because afterwards I just use Lupron to clean it up. Now, those may be red flags that the doctor may not be doing complete excision and doesn't believe that complete excision is important. 
And in those cases, you may want to find another doctor who will remove all of the endometriosis that they'll find. In my own case, I believe that my doctor had every intention of removing all of my endometriosis, both with our conversations pre-operation and with the reviews reporting that he got all of the endometriosis. However, when it actually came time for the surgery, that's just not what happened and not the outcome that I had because the GI surgeon in that moment just deemed it too risky. You know, they didn't leave behind endometriosis so that Lupron could just clean it up or whatever. Some excision doctors will offer Lupron after surgery, and that's why it's important for us to have the knowledge to be able to have a conversation with the doctor on what's actually best for us. And if we don't want to take it, we can absolutely say no to Lupron or Alyssa or to birth control or whatever the doctor offers us. What if the doctor offers us sushi? If you like sushi, you may say yes. (laughs) No, we don't have to give you permission to say no or yes, but you do hold the power of the ability to say no if you choose to say no. Sometimes when we say no, the doctor may pressure us. They may insist or gaslight us and make us feel like we're not informed and we don't know what's best for us and we're not making a good choice. But it's our body, it's our life, our treatment plan, and so it's our choice. We can always say not right now and choose to get more information if we're not sure yet. And we want to point out that while a doctor's beliefs don't make or break their ability to treat you, their skill level does. So that's why it's important to find out if they have the skill level to treat advanced cases of endometriosis, if they typically remove the endo from all places that it's found, and what their reoperation rates and rates of recurrence are. The doctor's success rates, recurrence rates, and complication rates speaks volumes about their ability to treat you. Okay, so I want to wrap up some thoughts before we end the episode. So I know that Brittany and I talk a lot about how different surgeons have different experiences and different skill levels. Um, But the reason why we keep hammering that home is because they really do. There's a whole gamut of skills out there with excision surgeons. And there are really amazing excision surgeons out there who have tons of experience and a really high skill level, you know, and then there are mediocre ones. Excision surgery with a high volume surgeon who has done thousands of excisions in their career is likely going to be a more complete excision and provide a better outcome than Dr. Joe Schmo, who just started doing excision last year and you know, hasn't, doesn't have a very high skill level yet and hasn't done very many cases yet. But, you know, sometimes the only surgeons that we can access are ones that are new to excision or are surgeons who don't have a very high skill level yet. You know, I think all of us, we really want to get the best care that we can. We want to find the most expert and experienced surgeon that we can. But for a variety of reasons, We may not be able to get excision with a high-volume surgeon, or honestly, even any surgeon at all. And that's infuriating, and it's heartbreaking. There's 200 million of us with endometriosis, and, and only a couple hundred excision surgeons worldwide. Many of us have to leave our country to get excision, if we can even get excision at all. And I mean, how absurd and ridiculous is it 
that people have to leave their country in order to get the medical care that they need for a disease that is more common worldwide than irritable bowel disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, lupus, multiple sclerosis, and rheumatoid arthritis combined. Like, how absurd is that? And that's why this conversation is nuanced. You know, Brittany and I have tried to come at it factually. We're trying to talk in this little mini-series on excision about what constitutes an excision surgeon and why the skill of the surgeon really matters. And to provide resources to all of you to be able to understand about excision surgery, try to find a surgeon and ask your surgeon questions to vet them to see what their skill level is. But you know, ultimately, we all have to decide what is right for us in the situation that we're in. Sometimes I think about my own situation with my excision surgery. I feel really grateful that I've had the privilege of having excision surgery. And I'm really happy with the outcome that I had. But at the same time, I wonder if another surgeon would have done a bowel resection and removed all of my endometriosis. I also think about how I had two surgeries back-to-back that were four months apart because my excision surgeon dropped me from his care when he found a 12-centimeter mass on my ultrasound, which ultimately turned out to be an endometrioma, but he referred me to oncology, and I was so scared and so overwhelmed, and I was still undiagnosed, and I didn't have a clue about endometriosis, that... I just agreed to the oncologist removing my ovary with the, alongside the endometrioma, which I can see now was not necessary. And considering all of the hormone problems that I've had since that surgery, it's a decision that I wouldn't make today if I had to do it all over again. Two surgeries is two recoveries, two times off work. Two times my mom had to fly in to take care of me. Two sets of costs. Two times going under the knife. Two times having the pre-surgery fears and anxieties. And when I look back at that really scary, I mean, terrifying time in my life, then sometimes I think that maybe that surgeon wasn't the best surgeon for me. Maybe I should have found another surgeon who had more GI experience, who could have done a complete excision along with the endometriova removal, while saving my ovary, all in one surgery. And then maybe I wouldn't be in the hormone hell and the mast cell hell that I, the mast cell histamine hell that I've been in. But (laughs) what's done is done. You know, and my surgeon was local, and he took my insurance and network, and that made him accessible to me. And if it wasn't for that, then maybe I wouldn't even have had excision yet. And so... The decisions that we make for ourselves, they're nuanced and they're complex and they depend on a lot of factors. And I've seen this in my own case as well. And since I'm on the topic of my surgeon, I just really quick want to say that, you know, I talked today about my own individual case where my surgeon left behind a little bit of endo and I had a great outcome, but that's not true for everyone. You know, having an incomplete excision can be a cause of continued pain post-surgery, depending on how much endometriosis was left behind and where it was left behind. On the flip side, having said that, continued pain post-surgery doesn't automatically mean that endometriosis was left behind. Many patients also have co-conditions that need to be treated, 
or they may need pelvic floor therapy or have other reasons for continued pain. And I'm glad that my surgeon left behind that endometriosis. Not because I want to have endometriosis, because I don't. I mean, obviously, I would have preferred that he removed all my endometriosis in the same way that I would have preferred not having two surgeries and still having my left ovary. But I'm glad that he left it behind because I wouldn't want the surgeon to try to remove something that he wasn't comfortable doing and taking what he considers a risk and then potentially causing me more complications or compromising my bowel function due to his lack of skill. And something that I've learned over the years is that typically when the surgeon says, oh, it's too risky to remove this, that usually means not that it's too risky to be removed, but that it's too risky for that surgeon's skills. And in the hands of another surgeon, with more skill and more experience, it's likely that endometriosis could be removed. So I'm glad that he didn't try and and leave me worse off. I didn't ask my surgeon any questions prior to surgery. Nothing, really. I was so new to endometriosis. Um, I wasn't the advocate that I am now. I was just scared and clueless, to be honest, and desperate. I didn't know what questions to ask, and I didn't know that asking questions was important. I had found my surgeon through Nancy's Nook, and I thought, okay, well, he's, uh, he's listed on Nancy's Nook, so he must be great, so I can just trust that he's a great surgeon. And the thing I've learned now since then is that not all excision surgeons have equal skill. Even if they're on Nancy's Nook, even if they're on some other list on Facebook or online, or even if they're on some vetting platform, no matter where we find our surgeon, even if it seems like a really reputable, trustworthy place, we absolutely have to vet our surgeons. We have to ask them questions. We have to look at patient reviews, look them up on Facebook groups, on Reddit, on Google reviews. Google their names, see if there are any lawsuits. Look in open payments, see what kind of industry ties your surgeon has. Like everything in our treatment, we want to make an informed decision. So we have to research our doctor. And we cannot just trust that they have the skill level necessary to treat us. And I didn't know this at the time. So I really want to reiterate that having surgery with a doctor who is on Nancy's Nook or is on another list or platform, that doesn't guarantee their skill level. You have to investigate the skill level and experience that your doctor has and not go on any assumptions that this doctor is excellent because they're just on some list. They say that excision surgery should be one surgery done right. Complete excision, excision on all the areas where there is endometriosis. And then maybe some small percentage of us, like, I don't know, 10, 15, 20%, would need another surgery for true endometriosis recurrence. But unfortunately, there's only a very small number of surgeons in the world who can do excision, and their skill levels vary. Their experience varies. The number of surgeries that they do per year vary. And so excision is not the same among all of us if we can even access excision in the first place. And this is so frustrating and heartbreaking because many of us are traveling outside of our country to get excision. We're going into debt. 
we're quitting our jobs, or we're getting fired because they can't give us the PTO that we need to recover post-surgery. We're going through medical trauma. Surgery can be a huge decision and undertaking physically, emotionally, and financially. And so Brittany and I really hope that these episodes can help you have more knowledge to ask questions to your potential surgeon and to make the best choice possible for yourself. And if you've had an excision that was incomplete or you're still having pain post-excision, we are so sorry to hear that. Please don't judge yourself. It's not your fault. The medical community is failing us, failing people with endometriosis. We need more surgeons, more surgical training for them, more excision-specific fellowships, more multidisciplinary specialty centers, more actual excision insurance reimbursement codes, more incentives for surgeons to actually learn excision, and the list goes on and on. And we as the patients, we're suffering from a lack of access. And we are doing the best that we can in a very broken medical system full of flaws that's based on outdated myths and misinformation and misogyny. So we're going to leave it off here for today because we've talked about so much and we really want all of that to set in to the brain the way that endometriosis loves to set into our body. (laughs) (laughs) Absorb that like our bodies absorb our retrograde menstruation. (laughs) (laughs) But in the next episode, too, we're going to talk further about excision. We're going to talk about other reasons behind the rate of variation of recurrence and persistent rates with the different studies. So we're going to talk about a couple of studies of excision and quality of life. So it's going to be really interesting. I can't wait. So go eat sushi. (laughs) I want to eat sushi. There's no sushi near me. But if you have access to sushi and you like sushi, go eat sushi. Do it for us. (laughs) (laughs) Go eat sushi. And if you want, go on our website in 16years.com. Go ahead and, you know, look up the various links and resources for everything that we talked about today. And again, on our website in the endo overview section. We've listed all of the resources to learn more about excision surgery, how to find an excision surgeon. Because ultimately, I mean, all this is so interesting and fascinating, but I mean, our ultimate goal is to get our disease treated and get it removed from our body. So hopefully this information helps you feel more empowered and knowledged. So now I'm going to go make a bowl of rice and top it with some seaweed. Menstrual blood? Avocado. No. (laughs) Cucumbers, carrots, ginger, and pretend that I'm eating sushi. So I'm going to go do that. And I will save some menstrual blood on the side for Amy's dipping sauce. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope you can go have something tasty that didn't come from your body. (laughs) They call it a menstrual cup for a reason, Brittany. I mean, okay, you've got me there. I'm grossed out, but you've got me there. All right, in the next episode, we will not talk about sushi. We'll probably have Or eating menstrual. We'll talk about something different that's (laughs) equally off topic, but we will not talk about sushi. (laughs) Or will we? We'll talk to you later. (laughs) 